Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We are Native Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 164, recorded on November the 9th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. So there was a small event the other day. Mm-hmm. It was online, which kind of sucks, because we really, really, really enjoyed going there. And we were talking about Microsoft Ignite. But I do think this was the first Microsoft Ignite where they actually have had time to prepare things for being virtual. So I do think in terms of things that were announced and the way it were presented, it was the best of the online Microsoft Ignite this far. I I have to agree. I mean, they they, they learn. They definitely yeah. learn. I think we all remember the a bit of a um, disaster, depending on who you were asking. The first Ignite was. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. scrambled to figure out how do we do this online? Just having a, a decent microphone is is not easy. Um, no, and there are so not. many people. <laughs> what did Haney say? No, it's not. No, it is not. So they, they definitely come a long way. And, and as we've alluded to multiple times on this podcast, Doing something virtual is completely different from doing it uh, live. Mm-hmm. And as you say, they, they're, they're, they're learning. And we always enjoy going to Ignite. Simon and I have been there multiple times. Henny, you had the first experience last time. Well, the last time it was live. The last time it was live, <laughs> yes. Now, Orlando was a lot of fun. Um, I, I think my feet still hurt from walking all over, but that's part of the fun. Um, but anytime we think of Ignite, we also think of Tony. Yeah. Because that was the thing that he really um, was looking forward to, basically all yeah. of the other parts of the year, apart from the fact that it was generally in Florida. <laughs> I think his, his best Ignite were by far Chicago. <laughs> I never went to Chicago for, for Ignite. Chicago were very mixed. The food was horrible, absolutely horrible, uh, which probably were the main reason why they moved it. But but apart from that, I loved Chicago. Um, and like that was the, a real party where they had Fallout Boy playing. And I'm a Fallout Boy fan, so that was fantastic. Uh, but it was a, like, apart from the food, I really enjoyed the city and the conference. And I know that Tony loved it because he's, he spent a number of days extra, both before and after. So I like Chicago. I would love to go back if they just have decent food. So the, the, uh, the venue in Chicago is pretty good. I was there mm-hmm. for Star Wars Celebration. Uh, but Chicago is a, it's an interesting city. It's a mixed bag, I think. Um, but it, It's less dangerous than the city where you and I currently live, so... Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think that we have more shootings now per habitat than Chicago. Yeah, prob- probably. But, Henny, 
How many conferences had you been to before you decided to, to run away to, to Ignite? Very good question. I, I think I had only been to the Tech Days in Finland before that. Would you say that there were any differences between uh, Ignite and Tech Days Finland? No, none. They're exactly none. the okay. same. <laughs> so, so meaning quite many. <laughs> the main concern is probably that there are no saunas at any of the Ignites. Oh yes, that is such a drawback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact that the last Ignite was in Florida, where it is kind of a sauna. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's different. It yes. Doesn't count. No. So. Coming from basically a small event such as Tech Days and going to Ignite, what was your your first impression of this enormous event? <laughs> I would have to say it's very American. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, True. it's just like a very big in so many ways. <laughs> the venue is large. There's so many tracks, uh, the whole, like, kind of the food court, what is it called, the, where where you eat, it's yeah. large, you know, the, there's just a lot of, lot going on. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that immediately sparks the question, what was your opinion of the expo floor? That was really fun. Yeah. So much to see, so many people to talk to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you could just bump into anyone on the hallways, either somebody you know from Finland, which is a little bizarre, <laughs> or you could just go and talk to somebody from Microsoft. So that was, I I think, really cool. I think that that's one of the best things with these kinds of, of uh, events. You can literally just walk up to someone, maybe you've seen on the internet, or, or you talk to in, on a forum, whatever, they're there, and they want mm-hmm. to talk to you. Um, a case in point is, as always, Adam Saxton. He's such an amazing guy. He loves to interact with people in general. And so many people that we saw that kind of didn't dare go to talk to him, so he went to them. And that works. That's, that's the way the people are. And, and that's why I love these in-person in- interactions. And it was only the one conference where I met Tony. So... Ah, yeah. that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. The the miserable Finn that really <laughs> hated the weather. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm mixing up the I'm mixing up the years, but I actually got a picture from Samilayo just a few weeks ago, <laughs> where his dog now is owning the penguin we gave him for his fortieth birthday. <laughs> yep. That was not the last time, no, was it? Was that 2018, right? I think it was the last time because you had the no. penguin with you. It must have been the last time. Yeah, I saw I was the a Trusek that year. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the last time. <laughs> I, I remember you translating the penguin and laughing your ass off um, because well, it wasn't that good. Well, it just sounds a little bit funny. It's, it's not like horribly wrong, but it's just a little weird. <laughs> Not entirely right is not not entirely wrong either. That's what yeah. happens when you use any other Mi- American cloud service than Microsoft to translate your message. <laughs> well played, sir. Speaking well, of Ignite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure even that can do the trick. <laughs> no. You have a too hard language. 
If an yeah. AI can't figure out Finnish, yeah. then... How, how are we mortals supposed to do that? Very good question. <laughs> hmm. I think that in the end were why we lost Finland. Like, we just, we can't figure out this language, so better give them back. <laughs> oh, then, then that's such a good thing to have such a weird language. <laughs> I think we could have no. a, a special about uh, Nordic expansionism, but yeah, no. I think that's also kind of outside of the remit for this podcast. No one have lost that many Nordic countries as Sweden have. <laughs> that's probably true. And on that bombshell, let's <laughs> look at the actual news. So what always happens at Ignite, um, especially Ignite, is that Microsoft opens the coffers. And just when you thought they didn't have anything left in said coffer, they pull out the weirdest and coolest things. And traditionally, Ignite has been more towards everything but the data side of things because the data side of things usually went to pass summit now pass is not what it used to be but there are still some um, some things coming out from the data part of things and that has now been rolled into to ignite as well so we've we've decided to kind of take this and, and split it into three parts uh, haney is going to do the the things that nobody understands simon is going to do the things that nobody cares about and I'm going to do the rest. Does that sound fair? <laughs> yes, completely. Accurate. <laughs> yeah. Accurate, Simon says. I'll take it. All right. So I'll be surprisingly quiet for a bit and hand the entire stage to Haney. All right. So in my opinion, there were quite many exciting things that came up in this year's Ignite. But I think actually the first item that I have on my list is one of the ones that I was like really excited about. And this is Azure Container Apps. And you might be kind of wondering like, well, don't we have like AKS, the Azure Kubernetes Service and ACI, Azure Container Instances, and like, what is this thing that we're talking about? And the Container Apps is based on Kubernetes but it's, it is a more packaged service compared to AKS. So you can run any container you want in there, but you don't have the same management overhead that you have with AKS, where you need to handle the node pools and uh, all the networking and things like that. This is much more packaged and you just kind of spin up a service and you start to deploy your applications in there. So much, much more uh, kind of easy to use and easy to set up. So I'm really kind of excited to see how this actually functions in real life because I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> so that that will be the real test for this one. A possibly very, very stupid question. This is going back to the absolute basics. Kubernetes on Azure, is that considered to be a infrastructure platform or software as a service solution and what is then this so you mean azure kubernetes service yeah well i i don't know what is the title that microsoft puts on it mm -hmm. but behind the scenes you have actually virtual machines where you have yeah. to uh, explicitly be 
updating the Kubernetes service that they're using and so forth. So you do have like mm -hmm. a bit of management overhead. It's, mm -hmm. it's not like entirely that you need to do like full on management tasks as with regular virtual machines, but there are virtual machines behind the scenes. With this particular service, you do not have any virtual machines visible to you that you would need to manage or anything like that. So it is like that is all abstracted away from you. And pretty much Microsoft, I think, put it that you don't have any cloud infrastructure to manage with this. And I don't quite know what that means. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of a serverless <laughs> yes. Kubernetes yeah, in, in, a, in a way. Exactly. That, that was a fantastic explanation and exactly what I wanted to understand. So thank you. Perfect. All right. We got Simon to understand something. <laughs> I've done my job today. We, we really need to do a video stream of this. We sure have to do a video stream of this. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my. All right. And that leads us very nicely to networking <laughs> updates. So, That's a thing I don't understand or a thing I understand. We'll see. So... <laughs> There were several networking uh, updates this year, and I'm just going to kind of pull up a few of these that have been created to help the networking management. There were some kind of smaller updates as well. But uh, there is the Azure Gateway Load Balancer as one of the new uh, services. And really what Azure Gateway Load Balancer allows you to do it again brings like a new level of abstraction. And what you can do with this one is you set it up with uh, the regular Azure Load ba Balancer so that then this will be kind of your network virtual appliance. All packaged and nice so that you don't have to update and maintain virtual machines again. And this is working so that there are specific partners that have been set up at this point with this one and pretty much you get the third-party appliance kind of neatly in a box that you don't have to look into. So really kind of if you think about those uh, earlier setups where you would need to set up uh, a network virtual appliance through which you want to get all your network traffic to go through, you would need to have probably like two virtual machines because you want to have high availability. You would need subnetting for those. You would need routes in place, all that. You need to configure all of those different steps to get it working. But here you have this just as kind of a step uh, in between for your traffic. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, this this, and I think it also shows again the importance of networking in Azure, mm -hmm. and also that you can actually apply the knowledge you have in things like Cisco and Checkpoint on your Azure environment. Exactly. Which, based on where I currently work, is a fantastic <laughs> solution that really makes both of the the new and the old world fits very well together. And I I have to agree on that, but. Things are, and I'm sure you're going to be, be talking about those as well uh, as we move along, Henny, but things are happening in the cloud that is taking networking in a mm -hmm. direction that you don't have on-prem. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start enjoying things like the, the links, Synapse mm -hmm. links and stuff like that, suddenly everything just goes out the window. 
And that mm-hmm. is kind of cool. So we are looking at the next level of, of networking stuff. And this is not simple things. This, this is pretty complex. Yeah. And I think the kind of interesting thing to see here is like, because this abstracts a lot of the kind of nitty gritty details out of the picture. It's interesting how kind of the networking knowledge of people in the cloud will kind of evolve. Will Mm -hmm. we kind of be just satisfied with, okay, Azure takes care of it all or what will happen? I don't know. Who knows? Exactly. So kind of on the same theme, there is also a new new, uh, service called Azure Virtual Network Manager. And in my opinion, this to me sounds a bit like um, management groups and policies for networking in a way. (laughs) So really what this allows you to do is to group together different virtual networks that you have. And then you can apply, for example, connectivity rules to those different networks in one go. And also uh, apply kind of security rules And things like, well, whatever network you need to block a specific port, like no matter what people configure in their NSGs. So you kind of get this over-level control over your networks in a smoother way than you would have been able to do with just policies. And and like you said, Alexander, I think that really is a new era of network management No, it isn't. That's the funny thing. It is not a new era. This is what, uh, for instance, Cisco have been pushing for quite a few years. Yeah, but no one has used it. Exactly. It hasn't gotten gotten any traction. The whole virtual, I I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's, what software-defined networking, basically. You're you're (laughs) using policies to to move data around or, or guide data around in a way that you don't need to go into each and every piece and just poke around with it. So I think this this is cool. I think it is mm-hmm. the next step. Mm-hmm. And the cloud is the obvious obvious place to do it in. Yeah, yeah and, and shouldn't this play very well? Like now I'm envisioning, and I'm sure that Cisco and the others have similar solutions. But when Microsoft, if they ever do that, do Azure Arc for networking, that would be cool. So that you could use this, tie into your other on-prem equipment. Interesting idea. Uh, Yeah. Hmm. Remember who said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think that would be fantastic. And at that point in time, Microsoft would also become a network vendor. Because Mm -hmm. you could buy whichever box you want. And you would manage it through one central location. I want to have a Surface Switch. (laughs) Oh, back to this item. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I've already learned how I work. (laughs) Yeah, just stop at some point. So (laughs) one one kind of thing that I wanted to mention about this is that this enables also the creation of like having that connectivity through your spokes which like if you have a hub and spoke model, it Mm -hmm. enables you to create that mesh connectivity, which you haven't been able to create using a regular, you know, the multiple VNets scenario with hub and spoke. Of course, you've been able to do that with with virtual WAN, but this kind of also brings this capability to like regular virtual networks without leveraging virtual WAN. 
So that's kind of a new capability it enables. Question. Do you think Mm -hmm. this will supplant the virtual WANs or? Mm, It's quite different, I have to say. Mm. So this is mainly for like the virtual network control side. So no like hybrid connectivity or anything like that. So no, but maybe they will somehow start to work together. All right. Uh, Then the next item that uh, caught my eye was the updates in Cosmos DB. Again, there were quite many. And of course, some are more interesting than others and so forth. (laughs) at least in my opinion. And I think the one one specific item that is uh, interesting is that there is now partial document update for the SQL API. So what that means is that previously when you needed to update a document, you would need to kind of read it, update the document and replace the document. So you wouldn't actually be just kind of uh, updating one specific data point in there in the document, but the entire document in itself. And this is, of course, going to affect performance and so forth in the long run. And it's... What is a what is a document in Cosmos DB? Because to me, it's a file. <laughs> a document in Cosmos DB is like, you can think of it as, I guess, what you would in a traditional database, you have one row in a table. The document mm-hmm. is kind of the one one row from mm-hmm. it has all the different columns for that specific item. Yeah, in in, in many ways, Cosmos in document DB version, it, it has a lot of faces. It behaved mm-hmm. not unlike a normal blob storage, as in you did not have the hierarchical namespace. So every every operation you did basically removed the file, put it back in. Exactly. And I think this is just one of the additions to Cosmos DB that is kind of merging the gap between the traditional relational databases and this uh, document-based database, the NoSQL one in Azure, Cosmos DB. So it's just kind of the features are coming closer and closer. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see where Synapse and Cosmos will kind of land because th- those two are the main offerings, if you will, on the data side in, in Azure, they don't really talk to each other, or I should say they didn't really talk to each other. And then came the Synapse link for Cosmos TV. Yeah, exactly. And then as the last item from my side, uh, there are some Azure API management updates. And so Azure API management has been there to help you set up your APIs for REST REST APIs, and then you've been able to do SOAP APIs as well, kind of the more older style of APIs as pass-through. But now there are even more kind of APIs started to be supported in Azure API management. So there is GraphQL pass-through support. So you're just kind of able to use Azure API management as a gateway in front and not so much do any transformations and so forth, but as a pass-through at this point. And then also there is native support for WebSocket APIs as well. And that is actually already in general, generally available. 
So that is really like if you're uh, building real-time apps and need to have that connectivity, then you could leverage API management there as well. Really cool. And I the, yeah. the next item, I think we're going to be talking about Simon. I, I sure hope we don't talk about me because I didn't get any new features whatsoever. <laughs> I was, I'm probably <laughs> degrading over time. I like Oracle Cloud. Oh, <laughs> burn. So the next item is actually um, Azure Chaos Studio, or as we call it, Simon as a Service. <laughs> that would be a suitable name. I think so, yeah. I think I actually will start to use that. And and like I said, I actually did a talk a few weeks ago where I volunteered to be the chaos monkey in that organization. Uh, I I'm, I'm, would be fantastic at that, especially put me inside of a database environment and ask me to do anything and you will for sure see chaos. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so Azure Chaos Studio... It's basically chaos testing as a service. So what it will do is that it will break your Azure apps in any variety of ways. And you can simulate and you can actually introduce real errors inside of the app. And that can be anything such as storage outage, expired secrets, and even simulating a, a full data center outage. And, and this really builds on the chaos testing strategy that you'd randomly introduce errors into your environment to see if you built in the infrastructure correctly. This is something that I think Netflix is the one of the more known organizations that actually do this at a huge scale uh, where they do everything from actually pulling out cables in data centers to whatever and just ensuring that it's absolutely stable and resilient towards that. So this is a service you can add on to your Azure apps and ensure that you've built them correctly and then learn from whatever faults are introduced. And I honestly think, and this is what I hope to achieve with other things as well, this approach could easily be applied to infrastructure as well, mm -hmm. not just apps as such. Uh, I think that would be a fantastic way of doing that, continuously adding errors so that you learn and constantly update your your CMDB or Viki or whatever. And you also learn how to troubleshoot, which is a skill I think is highly underestimated. Yeah. This is one of the features as well that I'm really like, I want to go and yeah. test this out. <laughs> <laughs> On someone else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone would like to volunteer, we can use our Azure credits to do yeah. some chaos testing on your environment. I think what you just said there about the, the troubleshooting being Mm -hmm. something that people tend to forget i think that also goes in lockstep with what haney said we are going to see especially networking skills change mm -hmm. and as you virtualize mm -hmm. and, and abstract things away you'll still be able to understand the concept but you might not necessarily understand nor necessarily need to understand the bits and bytes mm -hmm. until you start to troubleshoot because suddenly mm -hmm. Nothing of your your cool virtualization stuff is a good thing because it's probably going to hurt you. You mm -hmm. need to understand all the way down before you can really do troubleshooting. And that that is something that I find with when I do um, courses, when I teach students. 
people don't understand the basics anymore because they don't have to. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. that is not a development that I am entirely comfortable with. That That's the only benefit of being your age. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Microsoft Defender for Business, apart from that Microsoft renamed every single product <laughs> in the Defender suite. Some were good changes, some were not too good changes. Uh, but they also introduced Microsoft Defender, which also is known as Microsoft Defender for Endpoints. That's the important aspect here for business. So you can now get an SMB targeted, close to fully fledged EDR. And I think this is fantastic that you get a lot of the power from Defender for Endpoint that's up until now only have been available for larger organizations. And now Microsoft introduces a very, very powerful endpoint protection tool, which I think actually will be something that really puts the market into a very interesting position because to my knowledge, no one else on the market are able to provide an SMB-focused product like this. And I think it's good because looking at some of the organizations I've helped over the last years, many of them were small and, and didn't have access to these kinds of solutions and didn't couldn't afford them either. So it's really one of the many examples of how Microsoft focuses on the SMB market, which in Microsoft's world is between one to 300 users. Continuing with that, we got a lot of new features for um, Windows 365. And no, I'm not going to rant about that because I think that since they introduced a lot of these features to my Windows 365 business, that's where I think that that service actually makes sense. And they introduced things like Windows 11, um, Azure AD Join, and such, which I think is great and that it will benefit uh, many of um, these, again, small customers a lot. They also improved the security and, and some other aspects with that and the manageability of the business SKU. Again, that's primarily aimed uh, towards smaller organizations. And you also have then Windows 365 Enterprise, which adds things like hybrid join and Azure or AD join and, and some other aspects of that. But let's not talk about that SKU. So lots of new features for the Windows 365 business. And that leads us into the actual working product which I encourage everyone else to use, um, which is Azure Virtual Desktop. Uh, And we will continue, but on the 18th of November, you have an event that everyone needs to attend to learn more about Azure Virtual Desktop and Windows 365, but we'll market that a bit later as well. But Microsoft, again, backstabbed me. I take it personally. (laughs) Now, I, I don't think they actually said or have said that they wouldn't introduce a hybrid offering for for Azure Virtual Desktop, but now they have. So you will be able to run Azure Virtual Desktop, which I assume would include multi-session Windows 10 as well, on Azure Stack HCI. And to me, this only again shows that Microsoft now feels that they've been forced to do something that their partners haven't been able to deliver on. I think that, again, goes back to it. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry to say because I am a Citrix fan. I think Citrix have done a lot of good things, still are doing a lot of good things. 
And the main like argument for customers to issue Citrix, and we'll see if that continues now, have been the, the hybrid offering. And I thought that that would make a total sense to Microsoft that let Citrix and VMware and whatever do the hybrid offerings and they can take care of the Azure offerings. But since it looks like neither VMware or Citrix have been able to deliver on that, Microsoft now does it themselves. And that will also, of course, push uh, Azure Stack HCI, which I do think it's, it's a good thing. And that, of course, in a way, if we were going to do the the marketing side of things, it also shows uh, Microsoft's dedication to uh, hybrid because they introduce a lot of other hybrid things as well, just as, and we won't talk about that, deploy a VM from the Azure portal to your on-prem VMware environment. That is kind of fascinating and, and really shows that organizations that used to be competitors at scale now actually see the benefit of each other's technology and uh, other things that will actually be coming to vmware in in a near future including their their own company <laughs> again <laughs> yeah that's that's an episode on its own um other things we have two new products microsoft or one new product and one new feature we have Microsoft Teams Mesh, which is basically a mess. No, sorry, it, it's probably brilliant. Uh, but it, it's AR, VR in Teams. You will be able to have your avatar still with no legs. Which I, but does it have needs pants? To... No, and I, that that's one of the jokes that goes around. But I still would like to understand why. Why can't we have legs? <laughs> could, could we could we do that as an add-on? Could we buy? Probably. That's the legs? P2 skew. Oh. <laughs> yeah. If you buy Teams E5, you get legs. Premium legs, yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. So so that's ARVR with Teams. Like it was everyone knew it would happen at some point, especially with Another stupid renaming. Let's not mention Facebook. Uh, I'm really not in a good mood today. Uh, and then we have Microsoft Loop. And and in the show notes, <laughs> <laughs> I think Haney is the only one who actually can make sense of this. As far as I can tell, this is one note w- with animations. And, and I, I, I don't get it but I'm not a creative person. So, well, as it says on the tin, collaboration that transcends boundaries and keeps you in the flow of work. Yeah, no, I have no idea. And there are no legs. No, exactly. I, I think like some organizations probably would like it, but Haney, please explain why you would use this. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> But we had a gathering with uh, a small gathering with some of the MVPs here in Finland, and I know there was mention of what this is, and I'm just trying to dig my brain, like what was it exactly? But no. Okay, so this means that we have two things that we need to find someone who can explain. One is this, yes. and one is Microsoft Viva. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Vive actually makes more sense. 
Viva, I can understand. But if someone would like to explain to us in this episode what Microsoft Loop is supposed to do, a PM, an MVP, a random person on the street, reach out. (laughs) Podcast at needypintech.com and you are more than welcome. The same goes for Viva. If someone is really passionate about Viva and are listening to this podcast, please reach out and explain this to us. The last thing I will mention, hopefully, would be all the Azure AD news, and they've introduced some fantastic things in terms of security and and additions to conditional access. But the interesting part here is that you soon will be able to provision on-prem application identities from Azure AD. So they are now starting, as I see, to replace Microsoft Identity Manager with Azure Services. And that, like, when, when you realize what you have in the P2 Azure AD with all the identity governance and imagine to apply that on your on-prem applications in AD fully. That is fascinating. And on that, please, Alexander, put us to sleep. I will do my level best, sir. So we have a private preview. It's not even a public preview. It's a private preview of SQL Server 2022. And this actually contains a few things that I didn't quite see coming, some things that I did kind of expect, uh, and some things that were a an expected um, development, if you will, of the magic that has already been done in 2019. And the the big things that Microsoft are talking about is the business continuity using Azure SQL Managed Instance. The SQL Managed Instance is, as it sounds, it's a complete SQL Server instance running as a service in the cloud. Um, I'm not the biggest proponent for MI because I think it is, it's a lot of money for something that, in my view, might be better used to re-architecting your application. But having said that, it is a fantastic solution if you need to lift and shift something and do it fast. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in that case, well, it's probably going to make more business sense to just throw money at the problem than instead of, of doing the whole thing from the ground. So what you're getting with this is the ability to run a DR or a disaster recovery replica, if you will, in the cloud. So you can run SQL Server 2022 and it will automatically move your data to the cloud as as a, a secondary, if you will. And you can offload reads on it. And what you will be able to do, you won't be able to do it right now, but you will be able to fall back and forth between them, which is a kind of cool thing. If you are able to offload reads, yep. wouldn't that give you a quite interesting experience as a user if you have different latencies? It would, but it would also give you um, an opportunity mm-hmm. by putting your your on-prem environment in one area of the world and your your yeah. read copy in another area of the world, if you will. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, so, that's a really. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's also mm-hmm. interesting is one of the the hot potato things when it comes to running SQL Server in Azure is that it's not that easy to move a backup. And the irony is that in AWS, you can do exactly that. You can take a backup on-prem and restore it on AWS, and it's just going to run. You can't do that in Azure, with the exception of of MI. So 
you can take a backup and, and restore that as a managed instance. Now with 2022, you can do it the other way around. So you can actually pull your, your data from an MI to put it into um, the, the on-prem environments. Hmm. So that's one of the things. The other thing is the, um, it's pretty much the same thing as the Synapse link for Cosmos, but this is Synapse link's link for Azure SQL Server. And it will kind of sort of do a transactional replication. It's called a hybrid transactional replication where everything you do on-prem, you stream basically into Azure Synapse, which means you can have your online transaction processing system on your, your 2022 machine. And all the while you're moving in real time your data to Synapse, and then you can do the really heavy analytical workloads on Synapse on data as it basically comes in. So this is a replication taken to the next level, if you will. It is a near real-time analysis, and it has a very minimal impact on the, the source system. I don't exactly know how it works yet. I am scrambling to figure that out. I think, this is me guessing, I think it is based off some kind of variation of uh, change data capture, which means that it is reading the transaction logs. But I don't know. That is a guess. I'm sure we'll we'll find out as, as time progresses. It also has a much better integration with Purview. Purview can now scan your data state in many, many ways, including SQL Server 2022 and Power BI. And finally, we have found a use case for blockchain. <laughs> so what there is, is something called the SQL Server Database Ledger. And Database Ledger is a, an immutable log, basically. Um, and it's using blockchain to make sure that any, any record changes are, are being tracked by this. So you can't change them. Finally, we found a hmm. reason to use this. I'm just waiting for Blobchain. Blobchain. Blob I need a new t-shirt. Blobchain. Now, then we have the thing that people don't really talk about because they don't really understand it. It's called the Intelligent Query Processing for a Parameterized Query. Yeah, this is, again, why we should do video because you both look like I don't even know what. So one of the main tricky things with SQL Server is called parameter sniffing. And parameter sniffing is what happens when SQL Server caches a, a SQL Server run, run plan. And it doesn't know exactly what it's going to find. It can't really look at statistics because that is not something known at the time of, of, of um, running the query. So what happens is the first time you run the query, it's going to lock in that query plan. So if the query plan that made sense for that specific query was a full table scan because you wanted a lot of the rows, then it's going to be a full table scan or a, a uh, index scan stored in, in, uh, in the cache. And the next time you're running the same query with another parameter and it's going to touch like two rows, it's stupid to run a scan but that's the only thing it can do because that's the cached plan. That's called parameter sniffing, meaning that it is imperative that you make sure that 
you have a a, um, a reasonable plan in the cache, or you're going to need to do a lot of things to to make sure that it it, it gets re, re uh, recached or or reparsed. Now, with intelligent query processing for parameterized query, it kind of moves the entire parsing parts around, and suddenly it is able to peek ahead and have a reasonable expectation of the number of rows it will actually touch, and so it can change the the um, the cached queries as it go. I, again, don't know how these work, uh, because the people that make these things, well, I understand what they're saying, but it also gives me a splitting headache. Uh, Joe Sack and his team are just, yeah, they're smart, I'll, I'll say that. But it is part of this intelligent query processing that we saw in 2019, and they already made something that could best be described as magical. So things are happening on on the internal parts of the SQL Server as well. And don't forget that the SQL Server 2022 is the most secure database over the last 10 years. <laughs> so this reminds me of... <laughs> Many, 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 many years ago when I went to Oracle Open World, and this was just as Oracle 10 had been released, and Oracle 10 was known as the unbreakable database. So I was walking at Schiphol and San Francisco International, where the, these huge banners, just Oracle, unbreakable. Now, the thing was, Oracle also released Oracle Linux together with Oracle 10. Oracle Linux was almost wholesale uh, a, a Red Hat uh, distribution. Mm -hmm. It was almost identical. So Red Hat took up their own banners, Red Hat Linux, unfakeable. So yeah, <laughs> that, that was a Bam. shot across the bow for from Oracle, but then also a bit of an aside. There has been a number of new features for Power BI and mostly for uh collaboration and data-driven collaboration. And, and with that, I mean um, the Power BI app for Teams. It's been updated. It is also, um, they've been focusing on the goals. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about as we move, move forward as, a, as a, a, um, a focus segment. And I'm also going to be doing a session for the Power BI user group on goals because this is something that more people need to know about. Um, there's also something that I've been talking to other MVPs about and thinking of th this would be a cool thing. We came across um, a couple of months ago when I was working for my, my previous employer, we had this situation where we had a lot of data and we wanted the ability to query some data in the Power BI cache and some data that I wanted to query direct query so I could just get data as, as it came in. And since this could fairly easily be accomplished if only Power BI knew about, um, I just lost the word. What is it called when you divide a table into partition? Thank you, I'm getting old. So if, if Power BI had known about partitioning, then it would be fairly simple for Power BI to know where to direct the query, right? And that's exactly what hybrid tables is all about. So hybrid tables means that I can assign a table as a hybrid table, and I can do the historical data as an import into the Power BI cache. And 
real time within air quotes is instead pointed to the data source as a direct query. And that means that I am not touching anywhere near as much data on direct query, meaning that the direct query will probably be pretty quick. So I'm, I'm kind of having the best of both worlds. What I'm very curious to see is if this is possible to combine with automatic aggregations, because then we have a really cool thing. And um, mm -hmm. as soon as this comes out, um, I think it's going to be around the end of the, the uh, not the end of the world, the end of the year. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure when. Um, so it's, it's going to come out soon-ish. And of course, as I said, Purview is able to um, stick its fingers inside of Power BI in a whole, whole new way as well. The last thing that I'm going to touch on, because as always, we're out of time, is um, not very cool, not very sexy, but very useful. Disk bursting. What the heck is disk bursting? Well... Disk bursting means that we can have more power in, in, in storage when we need it. Uh, take, for instance, when a virtual machine starts up. That is a very intensive time in its life, if you will. So this means that as soon as the machine starts, it can have way more power, I.O. power, than it would otherwise have. So bursting is a way of using the extra um, capability or the, the extra capacity that is available in, in Azure to do very short and very, very uh, high um, increases in, in IOPS. Um, so it, it could, for instance, kick it up uh, thousands of IOPS. That's kind of cool. Wouldn't that be just a thing they would introduce on any VM just to make them boot faster? Well, yes and no. I mean, this really doesn't have anything to do with the VM. Uh, the VM just happens to store its disk drive on a storage account, and it's the storage account that does the, the bursting. So this comes yep. into play for other things as well when you have storage in, inside of Azure. And since mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I keep banging on a drum about is the relatively poor IO performance in Azure, I mm -hmm. think this is a great way of not solving the problem. No, no, no. But it's alleviating the problem in a in a in a way. So it, it's going the right direction. So Simon, you said something about a small event. Yeah, we have okay. our uh, <laughs> um, myself and Patrick Keller. Uh, we are arranging the second run of the Azure Virtual Desktop TechFest on November eighteenth. We uh, have a fantastic speaker lineup. Every, I think almost every session is brand new or recently updated. So it will be a, and, and a lot of new speakers as well, which have been able to produce some really interesting content. So it's free. It will run from 9 a.m. Central European time to 9 p.m. Central European time. So we should have live sessions for most time zones. We are fully aware that the Asia Pacific and so on will have challenges even with the earlier ones, but most time zones will have live sessions. Nothing is recorded, everything is live, uh, and it will be a, a great event with some fantastic sponsors as well. So sign up and um, 
meet and we have some really interesting announcements to make as well. So uh, sign-ups and uh, meet. Okay, yeah, that was what I heard. <laughs> IOPS and sign-ups. <laughs> IOPS and sin. That's an interesting name of a session. Yeah, <laughs> I had. Uh, I, I I introduced a new word. Um, Alzheimer's. Limigate. Li- 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 <laughs> Come on, limigating. <laughs> limigating. Yeah, it's it's a combination of. Limiting and mitigating. Mm-hmm. Limigating. I think that's a fantastic word. What does it mean? We we fail to mitigate and do our best to l- limit possible negative impacts. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I get a picture in my head of a baseball bat with the text limigator. <laughs> or limigation tool. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So... What are you doing next? There, there is the past data community summit that started. Uh, well, there were the pre-cons the pr- past two days, and today was kind of the first uh, open day. And I will mm-hmm. be speaking on Friday. Yep, I will be speaking on Wednesday, so the day after this, or the day before this this episode airs. Uh, it was a great session, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, then we have, in, in my case, it's going to be the Power BI Fest online um, event on November the 20th. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I know we're out of time. I mean, we're, we're 10 <laughs> minutes over time, but this was the it's, it's Ignite. Ignite special. Yeah, yeah. The, the specials are, well, special. 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 I, I'm speaking at the Citrix user Yes, group. you're special. <laughs> I have a full hour to rant about Windows 365. That's nice. Yeah. Do do they know that's what you're going to be doing? Yes. Oh, okay. I think that's that's what sold the session. I promise an hour of ranting. And this is a serious suggestion. Consider doing a roasting session. Oh, because I think that would be absolutely hilarious and very informative as well. Mm-hmm. At one at one point, one of my absolute idols when it comes to, to speaking and, and just being part of the community, Jim Moyle, who just recently got promoted to senior program manager at Microsoft, congratulations, uh, at one point told me, Simon, you're too positive. You need to be more negative to sound <laughs> believable. So... I'm, no, I'm you maybe... don't. <laughs> it, it won't help, you mean? No, I, I highly <laughs> doubt that. Well, And on that. On that, pretty much. Do, do we have anything else, or should we just shut this down before we go all completely off the rails? Yeah, I think that's the next step. <laughs> Are you allowing us to go off rails? Like the 8,000-ton train that just went off rails in the northern Sweden? Off rails. I didn't know that was a word. <laughs> anyway, I think that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, have a great time and take care. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. 
If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at 